G'day, my name is James Baldwin and you're listening to Australia's favourite Formula One podcast, Oz F1. I just want to take a moment to say a massive thank you to everyone who has left us a review or subscribed to this podcast. It's made a huge difference. In the last couple of weeks alone, we have seen a massive spike in people listening all across the world and indeed leaving reviews. If you're one of those people, thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please leave a review and subscribe to our podcast. It helps us get more traction in the world of Formula One and more credibility as we aim to get some media passes for the next couple of Grand Prix that we attend. That'll allow us to record a podcast live from the paddock at the end of each race and potentially interview a driver or two. Please do that right now. If you can jump on wherever you're getting your podcast from, leave us five stars and subscribe. But now for a very special episode of Oz F1, the very first episode of Campy Calls It. And indeed, for this special edition of Oz F1 for Campy Calls It, who better than to call it himself, Thomas J. Camp. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? Mate, I'm doing very well indeed. Lovely to talk with you. We are without Tommy T, of course, today, but we will see him at the racetrack in just a couple of days' time. Big shout out to you, mate. But Campy, we do need to chat. You have it all to call about the Ferrari and the FIA, which is the governing body of Formula One. Take us through it. So if we're going to call this podcast, Campy calls it, then uh, I might as well say off the bat that this is the world conspiracy theory right now that the <laughs> FIA actually released the coronavirus, so this information about what they did with Ferrari in the last six months <laughs> to distract the public from what really from what is really going on. No, no, that's not, that's Dooms- not the case Doomsday at all. Prepper but- Campy. <laughs> Just living your best life, mate, in your bunker. The good news is, listeners, is that uh, most Australians ran out to buy toilet paper. I think Campy got uh, two pallets of VB delivered straight to his bunker, so he's sorted for, well, at least the next week. Well, I just just stocked up on my ammunition so that I can go duck hunting for the opening season. Very coming uh, up very closely upon us, so not be, not because it's the the end of the world, but uh, anyway, well, we can come back to that when Tommy's here to back me up to uh, <laughs> to give it to you, mate. But uh, mate, all right, the all FIA right. are just doing weird things, aren't they? They just think that they're king of all of this. Well, look, the more this saga continues, and the more that we look back in history, particularly since our Spa last year, that was the first race after the mid-season break. There have been some things that have happened behind closed doors that have been sold to us through the media um, with a certain narrative attached to it, which when you look at them as a whole, they are really starting to not make a lot of sense. So, um, yes, and there's a big crescendo at the moment. We got the first race of of the season in Melbourne, our hometown, starting on Friday, and we've got a whole lot of issues happening worldwide with this coronavirus pandemic and... In our little sport, F1, there's a there's a few things going on at the top end of the management that, um, you know, you could probably, possibly, possibly, allegedly too, there's some 
mishandling, <laughs> mishandling of information and some botch investigations going on. So we're calling it corruption. That's what I'm going to call it if I'm calling it oh, anything. Campy so. calls it corruption. There we go. I like yeah. a little bit of alliteration for a podcast title. I did. So, and look, before we start, we just need to throw out a big, big few thank yous to uh, racefans.net, autosport.com, and particularly F1 Yankee on YouTube. Um, he made an amazing video that came out yesterday about this, and a lot of our information is coming from these three sources. So, we'll link that in all the descriptions because this, it's really, look, this isn't my work. It's not James's work. 100%. We're using it. We'll still give you our own opinions, but the credit all goes to these guys because they uh, spent the time to do some investigating into it, and we're just the recipients of it. We're going to pass it on to our loyal fans. So here we go. Here we go. Let's strap in, mate. All right, well, take us back to the beginning of this saga. Well, the beginning of it, you can trace back to 2018 and the race at Japan. Ferrari had a second fuel flow sensor added to the engine. We're done by Charlie Whiting and in agreement with Maurizio Aravina Benny at the time, um, the Ferrari team principal. And not much is known about why the second fuel flow sensor was added to the car. Um, it was just sold in, in the media and to us that it was a uh, that was just extra monitoring monitoring by the scrutineers. So that was back so in twenty eighteen. Was it was it typical for the FIA to be adding sensors to other cars back then, or was this just a very very unique case, and no one really thought more of it than what it actually was? Well, I, I mate, to be honest, I don't know. I can't tell you these things. I presume that because of the technology in this sport and how cutting edge it is, that you have to be adaptable in an organisation like that. So if there's teams mm. that are trying to work around things, you know, there's some extra things that can be added. Ferrari may have come out at the time looking like the good guy trying to help out the the FIA and the management. But I really couldn't. I can't answer your question. I don't know. So anyway. Okay. So that's 2018 back in that, Japan at Suzuka. Yeah, and that's the first time we heard about these fuel flow irregularities at Ferrari. So if we move to 2019, after this, uh, the mid-season break, Ferrari were yet to win a race. In pre-season testing last year, they had showed that they were, the, they were the dominant car, but then that pace dropped off when it got to Melbourne. So 20, after that break, we went to Spa, Monza and Singapore, and Ferrari dominated those three races. And we were talking mm. about on our past, where has this pace come from? This is... absolutely. This is ridiculous. We're not sure how it's working. Um, speculation was across the paddock was pretty rife. Um, I don't know, a Renault, Renault chief technical guy at the time accused Ferrari of cheating. And um, there was rumours, from my memory, there was rumours about the adding of oil into the combustion chamber in the engine to give it its extra speed down the straights because they weren't doing much aerodynamically and it hadn't changed. So the other teams, with the data that they accumulate on their rivals, they're pretty switched on and they should know roughly where teams should be. So when they see big games like that, they start asking questions. Hmm. So what happened was uh, Red Bull submitted a clarification or an informal request, which was not made public, of the fuel flow rules and regulations. And they did this by submitting three hypothetical ways in which they could see that they could dodge the current monitoring system. Now, just give me a sec. I'll catch my breath. Bloody hell, I'm talking way too much, Jim. What's going on? 
I love it, mate. Right? Campy, you're calling it, mate. This is fantastic. I've never heard you string so many sentences together in your entire life. I know, and I sound somewhat intelligent. Better than that first podcast we ever did, might I add. <laughs> I haven't you wiped that from your memory. I mean, I thought now that Tommy wasn't around, we wouldn't talk about it, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. So the way that this monitoring system actually happened was it wasn't a current monitoring. It was at distinctive points within the race and on certain laps and at certain points on the track that these that the monitoring occurred. So they just took averages from that time to make sure that they hadn't exceeded it. Whereas what Ferrari allegedly had done with this monitoring is is used used a performance aid where they've put oil through the intercooling system into the internal combustion part of the um, part of the motor and it's given it some extra combustion some extra speed and you know that hence why they were so quick around the track mm. now the rules specifically state in Rule 7.5 of the Technical Directives, that improper use of cooling systems may not be used to manipulate the combustion process, but there's nothing in there specifically related to the intercooler, right? So this is this has happened, and if you look back through the history of F1, these things are not signed, sealed, and delivered. There's ways that lawyers and lawyer speak and big words can get around the actual technical regulations about what's actually happening in the design and the cars to get around, you know, it's thought. It's like this well, new the, DAS. The, the DAS system, yeah, exactly right. The DAS system with Mercedes is a prime example of them using the rules to their advantage and, and exploring options where no other team was doing it. So it's, it, it happens consistently in the sport. Yeah. So Red Bull did three hyper, put, put forward three hypothetical ways that they could dodge the current monitor, monitoring system. Now, interestingly... After Red Bull um, made that uh, informal request, the first thing that the FIA, the FIA did FIA did was release Technical Directive Number Thirty Five Dash Nineteen, and that was the third of November on the USGP weekend, and that is the weekend that we saw Ferrari's pace dramatically fall away. And everyone's mm. going, where'd that, where'd that pace go? What's oh, happening I remember here? Daniel Ricciardo overtaking Seb Vettel on the straight and going, hang on a second, how the hell has that Renault <laughs> suddenly got more power than the Ferrari? Yeah, I think Seb had some issues with his, with his well, rear suspension. Know, yeah, well, you race, know what I mean. At yeah, that point, we didn't know. He was still running on the track, right? But it's interesting. Max Verstappen's response to the uh, Ferrari's lack of pace was, well, that's what happens when you stop cheating. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's obviously things going on in the background that um that that happened that we don't know about, you know. So the rumor mm. paddock is is massive in Formula One. So these things were swirling around, and that's you know that's a pretty straight answer from Max, and it's what we want to see. So uh, come to the well, next. Well, of course, because but Red Bull aren't strangers to this. So they're also going to be saying, hang on a second. Well, we've been disqual... I mean, obviously for us back in 2014 in Melbourne, Daniel Ricciardo had his yep. second place stripped from him because his car consistently, apparently, allegedly, consistently exceeded the fuel flow limit. Yeah. I mean, that, that tore us apart on the inside as well. You know, this is his debut for Red Bull. It did an incredible job and then nothing because of it- this. Suddenly Ferrari are doing something wrong and the FIA aren't too quick to jump straight on them. But what it tells me too is that teams have thought about this fuel flow regulations and tried to work around it before and never come up mm. with a way to do it. Anyway, so we go to the second last race of the year at Brazil and the FIA then 
issues another technical directive, 38-19 on the 17th, so a couple of weeks after the US Grand Prix, in response to all the paddock rumours around what I just said about the oil being entered into the combustion element via the intercooler. That were all the right. rumours. That were all the rumours and the talk and the technical analysis which we were seeing in media, which, again, Ferrari's lack of pace dropped off even more than what it had, and we sort of went back to not quite a Melbourne spec, but more of a Chinese Chinese Barcelona yep. spec from earlier yep. in the year. Yeah, remember it. Then, sometime between Brazil and Abu Dhabi, the FIA started their investigation into the Ferrari's power unit. Um, now, it's been rumoured that uh, parts of all three Ferrari power cars were seized on the grid, and taken so for, anal- Ferrari, taken for Alfa analysis. Ferrari, Alfa Romeo, and Haas, just yep, in case was, you didn't know. Parts of individuals. So there's, you know, I mean, engine suppliers are supposed to give their uh, customer teams access to full-spec motors. So whether that had been done as well, but that probably falls outside of the motor, we're not too sure, but hence why, you know, parts of three cars were taken away from them. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, in that last race of the year, Leclerc, um, what was it? Um, let me think back. It was in qualifying, right? He got to scrutineering afterwards and the car was found to be five kilograms under, or sorry, yeah, five kilograms under what they had declared for the race. And that was yep. sold to us as a clerical error by someone. Yep. And at and the if time, you, um, if you cast your mind back, there was just mayhem going around the paddock. Everyone was running up and down. You had Ted Kravitz and you had Brundle running around. Christian Horner's shouting as loud as he possibly can about this whole thing. And, and everyone's just trying to say, no, no, no. Look, it was just, no, someone wrote something down wrong on a piece of paper. Don't worry about it. We'll all just move on. But of course, it wasn't ever going to be that simple, was it, with a team like Ferrari? They're not that stupid. Well, I remember having this conversation between us when we did that podcast. We were like, look, some common sense prevailed. If it was genuinely a clerical error, then who cares? In light of everything else that's come out, you can see why Horner and that are kicking up the the sandstorm in which they are at the moment. Yes. Because they're well aware of all the things that are going on previously. And it just so happened that randomly Leclerc's car got picked and we don't actually know what it was picked for. It was just that that was five kilograms of undeclared fuel. So... Hence, you know, this fits into the narrative of what we're trying to say. Anyway, Mm. Christmas goes by. No one had really any thoughts about it (laughs) until (laughs) the final hour of day six and the second test. You know, the final hour. So we're talking Friday night at five o'clock. The FIA released a statement. You know... So talk about taking out the trash in a political sense, Mr. Baldwin. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Talk about all the things that you don't want to talk about. Last thing Friday that no one really wants to stay and write about and do their job for. Everyone's got better things to do on the weekend. This is what happened in the last hour. It said the FIA announces that after thorough technical investigations, it concluded it's concluded its analysis of the operation of the Scuderia Ferrari Formula One power unit and reached a settlement with the team. The specifics of the agreement will remain between the two parties and the FIA and the Scuderia Ferrari have agreed to a number of technical commitments that will improve the monitoring of all Formula One power units for forthcoming championship seasons. So, the key word to take out of that is agreed to a number of technical commitments. 
right? So there's obviously been a commitment made between Ferrari and the FIA to assist them in future monitoring, which just does not make – look, this doesn't make sense to me one bit. Why would they say that, you know, that a number of these technical commitments have been made to, to, to get rid of potential cheating by other teams? Just doesn't make sense. How does Ferrari know no. it, it works and cheats without it? Offering some assistance, do you know? What I mean? Does that make sense? And then it does, get- but of co- but but who is who is the president of the FIA currently? Campy, John Todd. And where has John Todd been before he was president of the FIA? Ferrari. Where was Ross? Ferrari. Ferrari. I mean, come <laughs> on, guys. It's not. I mean, it's pretty bloody obvious when he he's a general manager of the of the bloody team from '94 to 2007. Jumps across to be the CEO and inverted commas special advisor at Ferrari from 20, uh, 2004 rather to 2009. This is the guy who was there for Schumacher. He is he is the when people think about Ferrari as a Formula One team, he was there running that show. And so now suddenly they haven't been doing a hell of a lot. They haven't been doing very, very well. And so are they going a little bit easy because of this connection? Is the FIA just missing another F? If is, is it just FIFA all over again, just the corruption inside this? And it, it is just backroom dealings again and again and again by teams who aren't necessarily that good but claim to be the backbone of the sport. I mean, even Bernie Eccleston's pumped up and said, well, yeah, maybe the other team should sue the FIA. Like, that doesn't happen out of nowhere. If you can get Bernie to get against Ferrari, then I think you're doing a pretty good bloody job. Yeah. No, it, mate, and you're completely right. Look, I think under the reign of Bernie Eccleston, he controlled this sport in a way which sold it. Democracy is always the best way, but there's going to be times when I need a rule with an iron fist and these sorts of situations – I can make my mind up about what we do, you know, yep. like a dictator. Yep. Now, yep. What, this is the first real incidence that I can think post the Bernie Eccleston era that Liberty and Media are having to deal with. And I think they don't have a backbone in this and they've handed all the responsibility off to the FIA. And the FIA is essentially the governing body for the laws in which the F1 regulations hand down. Does that make sense? Absolutely, so yeah. I think I think the FIA is doing F1's dirty work here, and they're they're separate organisations, but they're intrinsically entwined with each other. So, yeah, you, know, you scratch yep. my back. Allegedly, you scratch my back. I scratch your back. <laughs> type of I don't even know if you need to say allegedly at this point because it's been pretty bloody obvious for the last seventy. Well, what is it? Seventy five years of Formula One, where you could probably say from day one there was already back scratching going on. But the other things too, Jim, is that is that Ferrari wields this type of political power in this sport because of how big the brand is and how long it's been in the sport. And really, if it wasn't for a Ferrari, the sport wouldn't be round and it wouldn't be what it is today. So I somewhat get it, but don't sell us, it, don't sell us this whole thing as a democracy and everything's fair and it's, when it's not. Does that make sense? Because it's clearly oh, not. Yeah. So It'd be almost thing- better for them to stand up and just say... Yeah, look, we just like Ferrari that much and the sport wouldn't be as good without them, so we're just going to, you know, make it go away for them. And everyone would go, oh, well, at least well, you're honest about it. Well, to the, and the next thing that did, that every team other than the um, than the Haas team and the Alfa Romeo team um, came out and said, released a joint statement saying we're surprised and shocked at the way that the FIA has gone about that. Please give us some clarifications around the decision you've made. So two days later, 
um, <laughs> this is what the FIA responded with. The extensive and thorough investigations undertaken during the 29 season raised suspicions that Scuderia Ferrari power unit could not be considered as operating within the limits of the FIA regulations at all times. The Scuderia Ferrari firmly opposed the suspicions and reiterated that its power unit always operated in compliance with the regs. The FIA was not fully satisfied, fully satisfied, but decided that further action would not be necessarily would not necessarily result in a conclusive case due to the com- complexity of the matter and the material impossibility to provide the unequivocal evidence of a breach. That's oh, a lot of bloody words, isn't it? That doesn't really now, say much. <laughs> Looks now, like something uh, I'd put together. <laughs> all right. Let's put this in layman's terms. Something Go on. I understand Campy's and you terms. understand. Right. We cannot call it. We cannot, we cannot prove without a doubt that you did something wrong, but there's enough suspicion there to suggest it. So we're not going to – if this was a legal or a murder trial, we can't prove that you had the intent to do what you did. So, look, we're just going to keep it shut up. But then they say things like it may not necessarily result in a conclusive case due to the complexity of the matter and the material impossibility. And this is what I got to on the last – on the last podcast, there is a whole lot of intellectual property that Ferrari have gathered around whatever they've done with this fuel flow sensor and the oil being inserted into the combustible part of the engine via the, Ooh, yes, the cooling system that they don't want anyone that they don't want anyone else to know and or find out. So, hence why we see words like material impossibility, which I don't even know what it means. Um, <laughs> But the wording of it from the FIA at the same time was very clear. It said we can't we, we can't prove that Ferrari's done anything wrong. They haven't done anything wrong. So the settlement suggests in legal jargon that, well, you didn't do anything wrong, but we're just going to, you know, everyone's now held by confidentiality agreements and we can't talk about it. And that's the bottom line. So this is getting ruled like a dictatorship. And, look, this is the way we've chosen. Don't ask questions. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yeah. Which is not I I honestly see a place for it at times. But I don't think is it the place be. though needs to be more I think some transparency around that needs to really come to the floor a bit more because at this stage it just seems like it's a lot of legal jargon which is exactly what it is. But for the race fans, for, for people like you and me who don't necessarily want to understand all of the hyper complexities of what's going on inside the combustion unit, they just want to see good racing and they want to see the sport operating on a fair level. They might not really care about that sort of level of, of complexity around it. So they might be scratching their heads going, well, hang on a second. If Ferrari are kind of cheating, then then why words like that doesn't help if they come out and as you said just say look these guys have done a ton of research and development in this area that you know quite rightly for their ip we can't release that we're not too sure if they've been right or wrong but we think that they have done something wrong so we're going to find them and, and that's going to be it it's kind of an easier way of saying it isn't it for the race fans to also go oh yeah i get it that makes sense to me we could sort just move on and but catch just coronavirus be together just be honest about it don't don't hide it in the guise of fairness and it's just crap. Just say it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they've got totally. intellectual property that we don't want you to find out and we think that's fair enough. We can't prove they did anything wrong, so we'll just leave it there. Yeah, you'll kick up a shit show about it, a bit of a stink, but we'll move on. 
We're all big. We can all handle our emotions. No one's getting offended here. We're just racing cars around <laughs> a piece of concrete. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, mate. So anyway, but then the World Motorsport Council comes out and says, we strongly oppose any comments that undermine the reputation and the image of the FIA and the Formula One World Championship after seven teams oppose the confidential settlement. Now they got their, their friends jumping on their back and saying, we strongly oppose it. Give me a break. This is bullshit. Well, it's yeah. corruption at the highest order. Everyone knows it. Everyone can see it. Just be honest about the the legitimate cases that Ferrari have with their intellectual property and, and that getting out into the public forum. Just be honest about it. No one will have an issue because every team's in the same box. Every team has their own intellectual property that they don't want anyone else finding out. But if there's if there's a layer of honesty about it, then I think we'd, we'd be fine. But anyway... And that, Rant hope, well, that, that hopefully is the future of the sport. But the, the other interesting thing in Campy, we touched on it in the last podcast about Ferrari is, uh, well, whether or not the Australian government was going to let them in to actually race this weekend at Melbourne because coronavirus has been such a big thing. And so that could have even added even more to it complexity-wise, if the FIA had disqualified Ferrari for this time uh, out on the track and they'd sort of said, oh, well, we can't go because, you know, half our team haven't been allowed into the country because of coronavirus. I mean, that is just, as you said to me just before we started recording, it's almost like the perfect storm where coronavirus is taking all this attention. We've got, um, you know, Bernardo then came out and said last week, well, we're just waiting to see whether or not the Australian government can confirm that our entire team can come along to the race when you've got the most of Italy is in lockdown currently and especially up in Maranello where they are, there's a lot of areas which are, have been shut off to tourists and, and to people who live there as well. Do you think realistically... I, 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 don't, think the, I don't think the two the two events are related at all. They're completely separate. Although we've had some updates on that. The cars arrived in Melbourne. The drivers aren't coming. Sorry, Sebastian Vettel and Charlotte Clerk aren't coming from Italy, so they won't be quarantined. The thing that's happened in Australia in the last, you know, 12 hours is that they've put some massive restrictions on travel from Italy, which could affect some of the mechanics and the teams this weekend, which we're not too sure about. Yeah, it'll be we, interesting to see we, what, what we happens. We could have it. We could really have a season dominated by this coronavirus and and the fear-mongering tactics of some to make a bit of money out of it on the side, I think, <laughs> in the nice way. But we, we <laughs> Talking could, about Cappy calls it. <laughs> we, could see, we could see the season undermined, really, and maybe do a handful of races all year. Well, and that's what we were saying just before. So we've already, since we recorded our last podcast, uh, definitely China has been, inverted commas, postponed. We don't really see where it can be fit into the calendar again. So for all intents and purposes, let's just say that China has been cancelled for this year. Bahrain has come out and said that uh, the race will still go ahead and teams uh, and everyone to do with the actual broadcast of the event can come to the track, but there will be no spectators allowed at all. As I said, I would hate for that to be Alex Albert Bond's first podium because there'll be no one there from a crowd point of view at least to celebrate <laughs> with him. I'd also be very pissed if I'd bought like paddock club tickets for Bahrain and you know four weeks out been told oh, by the way no, you know the, the doors are shut you can't come in. Um, can't be the other big oil. concern. That's just a bunch of oil magnates going there mate. Oh yeah true. Uh, they can afford they it can, but can, the other big can concern though can Campy <laughs> what are they going to sneak in? 
Oh, they could snipe some Western ladies of the night in under the guise of attending a Formula <laughs> One Grand Prix. Track, track stuff. <laughs> the other big issue, oh, sorry, not issue, but the other big race that we're concerned about is Vietnam, of course, you know, closer yep. to well, Southeast Asia. Um, there yep. are reports of people not being allowed on cruise ships in Australia because they travelled through Singapore. You know, like this is a, a relatively safe area. There's, there's, these people transferred through the airport for like an hour and a half and they're not being allowed on cruise ships. So there is a higher level now of panic, of fear, obviously trying to contain something which is uncontainable. People are going nuts and buying lots of toilet paper. I mean, what they should be doing is subscribing to this podcast and listening whilst they're in self-isolation. But Vietnam needs to happen this year, whether or not it's a similar situation to Bahrain, but They've you know finished building the track. The track looks really interesting. I think it's going to be fantastic to see how different teams operate on that environment. But I would be so sad to see that as the third race of the year postponed. And instead of having as many races as we've almost ever had in in living history for Formula One in the, in the very full calendar, go back as you said to just only having a handful. But of course, only time will tell for that. But we get to go to uh, Melbourne this weekend, mate. I'm I'm kind of hoping that a few people are scared to go so they don't go so you and I can get better vantage points to look. <laughs> Does uh, that mate, make me a bad person? <laughs> mate, we'll be fine. Just look out just look out for us three balance, you know. The only ones wearing masks there, facial masks. Protect the virus. <laughs> I'm not wearing a face mask. Own bodies. <laughs> <laughs> hey Campy. Uh, I'm so glad that we've been able to do this. It's such a quick turnaround. The first ever yeah. episode of Oz F1 in brackets, Campy calls it. Mate, I love that. <laughs> I love your passion for it. I love that you're calling it how it is. And oh. it's been an, an absolute blast to do this. Mate, I cannot wait to see you at the Formula oh. One this weekend. It is going to be That's an absolute be time. And I, I do thank the listeners very much for for help just getting me through that you know, 20 minute segment where I did more talking than I have in my whole life I hope that I stumbled through my sentences with some sort of clarity and understanding but you bloody aced it look I mean if you if oh, you thanks, enjoyed mate. listening to Campy absolutely smash it because that's exactly <laughs> what he's just done make sure you leave a review and subscribe to hear him smash it a couple of more times uh, next of which will be at our recap our first recap for 2020 at the Melbourne Grand Prix Thomas J Camp sir you are a legend we thank you yes, as the technical director of Oz F1. That's uh, what oh. I'm going to start calling oh. you now, the te- technical director. Uh, we appreciate you, mate. Thank you so much for that. Uh, can't wait to see you this weekend at the Melbourne Grand Prix. Cheers, mate.